I'm back. This is Chris Otwell for MTT Cast Network. Now you're going to wonder is why am I an MTT Cast? Well, I pursued other avenues, had various rumbling, stumbling blocks, uh, multiple times I tried to take, take over or, uh, completely crashed in the process of creating multiple podcasts. Uh, for multiple different voice locations. I originally attempted to take over for the original Manavault, was the first Magic Gathering podcast regularly produced. Um, I tried to pick up where they left off. That didn't work out so well. Uh, tried to do some podcast for CCC player after the fact. Didn't work out so well. Uh, got burned, I guess you would say, by a couple of... I got burned, as, as you might say, by uh, some decisions made revolving uh, 2006 U.S. Nationals and the podcast I created there. Weren't real happy with, with what went down. Um, I'll still go ahead and write articles occasionally for TZZ Player for free. Uh, they don't pay me to write those articles. I might occasionally, they'll give me, like, free premium access so I can read other people's articles, but they don't actually pay me for those. The last article I wrote something uh, that got published was uh, something called Check, uh, Check Your Ego at Door. Uh, very interesting article. You definitely go read it. It is open to the public. It's not it's a non premium article. Um, in my opinion, one of my better ones I've written in the last few years. But uh, as I was saying, um, I tried to pick up for the Mandelwald, uh, the, the original NGG, the original uh, Magic the Gathering podcast. Uh, it didn't quite work out. That was the one that made Beatles and Declan Watson both were working on. Really liked what they did. Then I, uh, about the time that they were starting to, to, to fall apart is when uh, Wizard of Coast put out their official own podcast before uh, Magic the Gathering. And that was kind of interesting. Um, I really was, I, I like listening to it. So Bueller, Bueller does give an interesting uh, viewpoint to a lot of things. Uh, I'll get back to a Bueller story of mine later in this one. Uh, should be interesting. I bet people didn't know about it so well. A um, couple of the podcasts that have taken up at times that I've listened to is like Mox Radio, MTG uh, Cast, MTG uh, Logic, Top 8 Magic. Um, with the debacle that took place at TCT Player, I uh, actually had some of my podcasts published by Top 8 Magic uh, under the, the, the guise and uh, advice of uh, the help from Matthew Wing, 2007 GP Massachusetts champion, and uh, Brian David Marshall, the uh, Proto Historian, who they collectively own and operate and run, um, to be continued LLC, which happens to also own uh, Top 8 Magic as one of its uh, properties that it, that it has by, con- by, uh, by name. Uh, they, they were kind enough to let me uh, publish some stuff under theirs. Uh, it worked out. There's been some. I really appreciate those guys' help. I really like them personally. But um, Gavin Barhe was explaining to me one day that he thought that my pursuing having my podcast published on their network uh, was being overshadowed by them probably far too much, and that in order for me to gain some of the national credibility that I deserve, that I needed to actually go out, quote, on my own and uh, try to establish my own audience instead of trying to acquire or fit in with an existing audience, which uh, basically the people who like to uh, listen to Flora's rant and, and BDM rants all the time. Primarily BDM talking and Flora's ranting. Um, I can't totally disagree with his logic. Uh, he's also an avid, avid listener of Top 8 Magic, and I, I, said, I basically sat down and thought about it for a couple hours, and in the end, he's absolutely right. Um, some of the stuff I did, yeah, I give it to him time-wise. I've given him seven different so, uh, groups of podcasts, and to date, three of which have been published over the timeline of five months, and all the stuff that's been published was a good three, four months out of out of work, out of any useful information at this point. So I may take some of that stuff, re-edit some of it, remix it, resubmit it for MTG Cast for a little bit more prompt uh, publishing. Publishing. Uh, Dom's gonna be willing to accept my stuff. I mean, yes, to this, if you're kind of consi- if you're interested in letting me know what this topic is, as he says, gonna be kept secret. Well, let's just put it this way: the topic of one week may not match the topic of the next week. This 
is going to be a strictly an opinion show uh, with occasional coverage involved. Um, in fact, you might hear this fact. I'm, I'm actually driving in a car right now, um, only because the first two or the last two weeks worth of stuff that I've been trying to record, I keep doing it, and then it's like, eh, I don't like the way it sounds, so I cut it. Or I keep, well, I put all my stuff together, got the paperwork, put all the desk stuff I want to talk about, agenda wise, and I didn't, then don't see them find the time to actually make them to record it. Um, and so if that trend continues, then you can't expect it to be the most timely uh, show, but at the same time, I think it will be vaguely interesting when I do get it recorded. But like I said, the topics from one week do not necessarily match the topics in the next week. This is a show for me to rant, for me to throw my opinions out there, and for occasionally I'll even give you some uh, second-tier uh, event coverage on the top of that. Um, be either my, me or my own travels to qualifiers and or PTQs and or pro tours, or um, like in the case of the Denver City Championships, I've already been requested to attend solely for the purposes of doing event coverage for that event, because a couple of people who are, who feel like they'll make the top eight want me to be there to help cover, to cover the entire event of that City Championships event, which is on the 20th of May. Uh, it's a couple weeks away, and I penciled in that appearance on the, on the calendar to make that effort, because I also happen to like some of the guys who want me there, I also like them, and they make for interesting uh, discussion topics. Um, back to my original train of thought is uh, the public scene. Uh, I talked to Dom about this a year ago. At the time, I, I considered it, but then I decided to pursue using Top 8 Magic to, to publish some of my original stuff, but, and while I really like Matt Wing and BDM, and they do like some of the, they, they tell me they like some of the stuff I've done, I kind of wish it was a little more timely, and and I, I still have to go back to, to uh, Gavin Farhey's uh, uh, project and that I'm being slightly overshadowed, if not completely overshadowed, by the resident genius of Magic, which I can't really argue because I put myself into that position instead of trying to attempt to uh, build my own original audience. So I come back to Dom, gave him some talk, give it a little bit of a thought, some idea what I wanted to do. He gave me the okay, even though he wasn't real sure or real confident that he would uh, like this kind of a podcast, the uh, ramblings, as it were. So, but we'll see how the it pans out in the end. Um, we'll see how we like it. Now, if you like it, I'd like to know more about it. Because if anything, I would love to have feedback. You can reach me at otwellc at gmail.com. O-T-W-E-L-L-C at gmail.com. Um, some of my background at this point, though, it might be interesting for you to find out that uh, I am among the longest members, existing active members of the DCI. Uh, my ratings, well, until this month, until or this, until approximately six weeks ago, I had never missed more than six weeks at time between sanction tournaments. Um, me not able to attend Friday Night Magic, so at all, and the only Magic I can attend is pretty much events that were in Denver, which was an hour and a half drive away, and on Saturday evenings. So that's been really hard to justify me making that that length of a trip just for a, a basic 16K four-round sanction tournament. So I'm pretty sure at this point I've now expended my non-playing street tournaments up to now, I believe it's eight weeks of any one point in time over since I started, which was, according to the DCI database, my first recorded sanction match is on December 1st, 2005. Uh, I mean, not 2005. December 1st, 1995. The date's misleading. I actually played sanction tournaments prior to that date, but the ELO rating system was introduced, and in the process of being introduced at the time, Andrew Finch decided to completely wipe out the existing database of all ratings and sanction matches and started from scratch on that date, which is why that's an interesting date that's earmarked, but if you look up on the 2005 July 9th, or January 19th, 2005, Ask Wizard question from Watsi's website, you'll see my name listed as being the longest active DCI member in the world. Uh, yes, my, my DCI number is in the four digits, and when people ask me for my DCI number, I give them the four-digit number. I don't give them the nine-digit or the 12-digit, or the, the whatever it is nowadays, 
converted book, converted number. I get the original number. I still have my original BCI card that, uh, as issued by the Ivory Tower and Duelist Convocation for all the uh, old school members. The one that I actually had to pay 30 bucks to get my BCI number with way back in the day. It also came with a subscription to the Duelist Convocation magazine, which was put out quarterly, and all it did was pretty much list uh, a couple of things about tournaments and gave the band list So for DCI, or well, before we came known to the DCI, for the DC sanctioned band list, Duelist Convocation band list. That was also prior to the uh, advent of two constructed formats versus one. Um, back in those days, there was only one constructed format. It was called constructed. Then they split it into type one and type two constructed. Uh, eventually, they were renamed now. It's modern day naming will be vintage and standard. Um, of course, other formats have been introduced since then, and they now have all separate band lists, whereas in the original, day, original days, there was only one band restricted list, and it covered all formats. The only difference being was type two consisted of, when it was created, uh, the legal sets of revised Dark and Fallen Empires. And yes, I used to play in those formats, too. Now, if you could build a deck nowadays, with, in retrospect, to match that format, I would be impressed. That was any good. If the deck was any good. But, you know, as we all know. Anyways, for historical record, it's kind of interesting to, to take that. My, they now have registered my first DCI station tournament in the database now as being December 1st, 2005. Um, one of my... To give you some more perspective on when my when I was playing sanctioned tournaments originally, Chaos Orb was still legal as a restricted card in Type in Type 1. And uh, there was also no definition of what play, play area was in tournament. There was no no definition of what a play board or, or, or uh, the, where the red zone was or um, etc. type layout for the game. So we would used to do things like put our permanence on top of the opponent's permanence if we knew they were playing with a Chaos Orb. So say I had a Juggernaut and I would intentionally go put my Juggernaut sitting on top of his or this knowing that because the potential chaos orbs meant that you could not radically move or shift your permanence around. If you wanted to, to cast it and use it, he would likely be taking out an equal number of permanence for both sides, i.e. he would take out my juggernaut and his end of this versus saying just my juggernaut or all my lands, like in the old days when people or like nowadays people stack lands. You couldn't do that back then. You had to spread them out because otherwise guy would one guy with a chaos orb would come there and wipe out all your land for for three mana and you'd basically be a one sided getting and that'd be the game. Um, that's the way games were back then so the original tournaments, yeah, there was not a whole lot of structure or rules that made a lot of sense back then, but as things got better, that got better. You know, people people learn from their mistakes. So anyways, back to my original, back to the, uh, the original cast, the original topic. So anyways, I was sitting there, I was, I was thinking about it with it, and it's like, you know what, Gavin's right, I need to pursue doing it. So I talked to Dom again, it's like, alright, he'll let me do this podcast, he's going to host the podcast, and then I got, like, sidetracked with work and, and whatnot. So it's like, well, so now I'm, like, a month behind the original timeline for getting the first podcast out with, with Dom. And I'm still sitting on four more yet to be published from a MCD or from, from Top 8 Magic. Like, well, I would like to have seen those come out by now, but that didn't happen. So, anyways, this is actually the first recording I'm officially making for MCD Cast for the network, for Dom, for all the listeners, and to be downloaded, and to expand and dominate the world with, for all to conquer. So, what the uh, primary agenda for this particular podcast? Well, my first attempts to do it last year were the, were talking about 10th edition and some of the things I liked about it and what was loaded in, some of the rumors that it had, some of my opinions that it'll be in. Well, you guys fast forward a year from now, it's modern day. It's like, well, yeah, I still like a lot of the stuff that, they got, that we know about 10th. Like, I'm, I'm thrilled to see Incinerate coming back. I feel that the time is right that something like Eternal Witness will be.
me in the base, the base set. I'm, I think they're going to do something special with the basic lands. I have no evidences, but, but um, I just have a feeling that they're going to do like a full picture version for the basic lands, like they did the promo cards for the uh, champs, because it'll, you know, it'll be a cool addition to have the base set. Plus, we know now it's going to be black border, and that's an amazing idea. We've always wanted that forever and ever and ever. Uh, I remember back in the day we used to have to. Uh, I bought a, I bought a ton of uh, uh, Renaissance sets because it was the first set that allowed you to have certain cards in black border for foreign languages. So I bought myself at least three cases of, of German and Italian Renaissance set, which in the end all it really was was their version of Chronicle that allowed it to have the match to their fourth edition. They gave them black border versions of cards that they didn't previously have, uh, which was interesting. I had a ton of Mitras, the City of Brasses, Bermuda, uh, Ball Lightnings, Sierra's uh, Tron, the Strip Mine, had all that stuff in black border corn. So that was all cool, but you know, nowadays I don't have any of that stuff. I've uh, converted my collection. Well, my, actually, at one point in time, my collection was well over 800,000 cards about, I want to say, about four and a half years ago. And since that time, I have donated it away, sold away, traded away as much as I can to the point, stripping it away, stripping it away, stripping it away. My collection now, physical cards, somewhere around 12,000 cards total. And this is the first standard season. Uh, we're as of starting with um, Radical Block, where I have not bought a single box of cards. I'm now basically spending money on buying sets of commons and uncommons, and then just picking them miscellaneous rares off eBay. And I'm taking my collection as well, what, do, what I do with this money-wise, and converting it into the money needed to buy those rares on eBay, or in case of MTGO, I'm uh, taking some of that money and actually buying sets of commons and uncommons on MTGO and filling out my account again. Uh, I had an account with well over 90,000 cards once on MTGO about four years ago. Now I'm down. Last year I was down to 465 exact in cart, in cart and consisted of two prismatic decks, but then I sold them off because I decided to end my online account again and back up to uh, 14,000 cards. Um, pretty soon I'll have a complete set of all the commons and uncommons from nearly every set online, uh, except for IPA, because, well, that's impossible to obtain. Be realistic, it's just not possible, but it will allow me to play. Uh, I'm playing 10 times, a lot of times for our block and uh, a lot of standard the last few weeks on MPGO. I generally log on six nights a week, um, generally on after 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, because I live out in Colorado, one of the best days to live in. Unfortunately, it, it limits me and my ability to be a better player, because uh, with the United States, uh, we are all spread out. The good players are all fully spread out, and that's kind of the basis of one I like about the uh, Check Your Ego article. Um, we don't work together as a, as a country. Uh, all the other major countries have far off assets and quality of players solely because their good players all work together, as well as being better geographically located than we are. They actually work together. None of our really good players collectively work with the other really good players, except for a few small pockets like New York, around uh, Mike Flores and Oakland and uh, a few of them, and then like their client the group, their group of people, or like out in California where you have uh, uh, the, the reigning uh, national champion, Paul Sheehan, Scott Lewis, where, uh, Lewis, Scott Vargas, their friends all work together. Paul actually recently spent uh, a good two, three months out here in Colorado recently, living up Denver with um, uh, Sumo, who, uh, who if you do listen to any of my other previous really podcasts in the other network, you will get to know because I, I actually use Sumo quite a few times as a comedy man. I might. The problem with me utilizing some of those same people over and over and over is that since I live in Colorado Springs and not Denver in Colorado, uh, it takes me a good hour and a half up to get to any of the major events in Denver. So all the uh, and it's not like a whole lot of good players in Springs, but there's some decent players in Springs, uh, including Paul Brad, Brian, Tamira, who was a previous top 
Mbappe. Remember, uh, uh, Porto Columbus a few years ago? He also top eight in the Grand Prix in Seattle. Um, Jeremy Burton, who's a ranked state champion. Frank Sauber, who's also the, uh, the former state champion for two of the Giants, along with, uh, Paul Bradford. Um, there's a, there's a small number of decent players, but even then, collectively, the small group of decent players bring don't actually work together. We all kind of stay our own separate ways and pretty much only interact over, over our network on the board, uh, with that www.dagpra.net slash ringboard, S-B-R-I-N-D-B-O-R-A-D-B-O-A-R-E, yeah, board, board. Um, interesting little, uh, local discussion group that uh, I've been an act part of for, for years, though we don't talk much about the future magic as much as data magic, uh, or we don't really work on decks as much as I'd like, something goes, but we don't, we don't actively work to make each other better, per se, we just actively annoy each other with snag comments, but it's interesting to listen to and talk to bunch of nice guys to hang out with, like people I go hang out and watch movies and go to dinner with, occasionally get some action with, and all of us are like, played the game for like between six and eight years, and there's about 20 of us on, it, on that board, plus a few other newer players. So back to this, well, something that just pointed out to me on the on the board is uh, people used to say to make it a big deal, like, you know, the just finally make some noise in Denver, as we've been doing it for a while. People keep pointing out that Denver's got better players, mm, arguably, but I'd like to add to that fact so everybody knows that uh, we, the Queens players, makes up approximately 10% or less total, total attendance at any major event in Colorado, and for the last several months, we've had as much as 50% of the top eight. So we are doing far more with far less, both quality, talent, and testing wise. But in the end, we're still doing better, and we're making a noise in Colorado, finally. So back to this. So in the future, future podcasts you'll hear from me will be including things like event coverage for minor events for BGQs, maybe occasionally Pro Tour or Grand Prix. Um, I did go to Grand Prix Dallas, and I did do a podcast for Grand Prix Dallas uh, that I submitted for Top 8 Magic. Um, I may re-edit that if it doesn't get published soon, because it's, in my opinion, to one of my two best uh, podcasts yet. My other one being U.S. Nationals, which I think is still the crowning jewel, but then again, it was my first major effort. Now, as far as people doing recording, or do people do record podcasts, but they'll recognize some of the difficulty in getting things recorded right and edited right. Well, I had, I have all the good editing tools. I got Audacity with some add-ons plugged into it. I actually have Skype with uh, Pamela installed as well, paid for, and, and like, so I could do an online internet podcast with people if, if there was an interesting person to talk to you or want to do an interview with. Um, I have that option. But what I generally do for most of my podcasts where I actually have this little um, IC recorder, um, an electronic dictation device, really is pretty much a, a, a 10-year-old electronic microphone that happens to record a few hours worth of audio made uh, by Panasonic. I don't have the software for it, so whenever I record to it, I have to basically do a real-time transfer via headphone jack to plug-in to microphone jack on my laptop, uh, real-time playback, and record using Audacity. So it's not the uh, most efficient means to uh, record podcast, but once it's in a P3 form on a computer, then I can modify it all at once. I just don't have a good device otherwise to transfer it. But sound quality in this is probably decent, so... Uh, I have to take a small break because my hands are to hurt, but uh, I do have a uh, couple of separate couple tunnels. So the uh, background noise you might tell is because I'm actually in the car driving while I'm doing this. Uh, me and Paul Bradford, who's currently sleeping, is driving from Colorado Springs overnight to Lincoln, Nebraska for a BTQ. Uh, to do the two at a giant BTQ. I hope we do well. God knows we'll need to. We'll need a little help. We gotta get lucky. We gotta play well. We gotta play well. We gotta get a little lucky, but then again, can't win a tournament without being lucky. That's like an old poker saying. He's an after of two at a giant. I'm pretty good at keeping in straight. It'll work. We'll make it work. Uh, not to bore you with this particular thing, but yeah, I'm going to ramble on at times. I will cut some of this out. I will cut out dead space. Um, I will slide together things, and I might actually take an existing, one of my existing already pre-recorded
Recorder Podcast, and I'll read it. My name is Adam, so we'll see you tomorrow. We're going to be doing the pod, doing a, I'll be doing a series of podcasts while we're actually playing the two at a time. Uh, I'm hoping not to make that more than an hour and a half long, because I don't have my laptop with me, so I only got two hours of record time right now with this device, with the, with the mic. Well, keep it within the hour and a half tomorrow. Keep it about 45 minutes here. One of the things I wanted to talk about, though, was uh, Hall of Fame. Reminder to self to edit out the previous mention of the Hall of Fame. So, back to my Bueller story. During the uh, the original years of the Pro Tour, 96 through uh, 99, I attended many of the Pro Tours strictly as a spectator. I went to several Grand Prix during that time frame. Um, eight or nine, in fact, that I was attending for day two on the last day and failed to make it because I lost the last round or the last two rounds or, or what have you and crash burned, yet I've never made a day two in the Grand Prix and it really pisses me off. Someday I'm going to do that. That's one of my few goals in life, as it were. Uh, another which is to uh, reobtain the most played, most matches on record of DCI, which I got surpassed a little over two years ago by, uh, or two and a half years ago by this guy's fan. Uh, he passed me up by a good 800 matches at this point, so I need to uh, track him down and, and uh, put in the effort, as it were, someday. Uh, I haven't been able to lately, but anyways, during those years when I was traveling, I attended some of the Pro Tours, like Mike, as a spectator uh, in Germany. I went to all over the U.S., uh, all kinds of Grand Prix in the U.S. I have not been to a Grand Prix outside the U.S. yet, U.S. yet though. Um, spent a lot of money doing a lot of traveling. Went to nationals at Oregon every year. It was at Oregon except for the very first. Uh, been to two other nationals since then. San Diego out in, I believe, 2000. I was at, uh, uh, in Atlanta 2006. And uh, I had to cancel the one that was in, in Baltimore, so I didn't get to make that one. But uh, anyways, I went to a lot of them. Got to be a, lot, got to be a spectator, playing a lot of side events over, year, over different places. Uh, anyway, so back to Bueller. Long before Bueller got hired by Watts, and he was a speed-on player coming out of a third. He picked up, you know, he made his name by winning the, the Pro Tour in Chicago, and then he was traveling to all the Grand Prix circuits with all the good players. Well, me and a couple of other people who used to travel with me, um, Eric Kirkman specifically, one of the only guys in the world who has a lower DCI number than my own, um, by nearly half, you can believe that, and uh, Alan Martin, who used to travel a lot with me. Anyways, uh, so occasionally we go to these Grand Prix, like in Kansas or Memphis, and um, of course, like, only Kirk Kirkman always made day two. I never made day two. Alan never made day two. Paul Smith, who's with me, who happens to also have the longest losing streak on the Pro Tour at 17 straight losses. Um, yeah, go look that up, 17 straight losses on the Pro Tour. So we used to hang out at Bueller. He used to hang out and watch Bueller at times, right? So he's a phenomenal player. Anyways, I'd start off this chant in the background going, Bueller, 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 from like the old Ferris, uh, Ferris, uh, Ferris's Day Off, as in Fer- Fer- uh, Ferris Bueller. It's a movie from way back when, like the early 80s. And he used to annoy Randy Bueller quite a bit at Memphis. He got so pissed off at me making the, the, the Bueller, Bueller, Bueller chant that he turned around this this close was ready to, to hit whoever it was he caught saying it but he but I, I just happened to stop saying it as he got up as, as he turned around and jumped out of his chair so it's like hmm how much magic world would have changed if, uh, if I would have said it like one more time because then, then no doubt then the salt charge who came he would have never been hired by Wasi mm-hmm. that would have changed the life of magic forever forever especially since evasion probably would never have came to be in or at least nearly as good a condition as it did if without Randy Bueller being on the team working for Wasi so by sheer timing I uh avoided getting assaulted basically uh, at the same time you know Magic became better off for it by uh, by Watsi eventually hiring Bueller but yeah he was uh, he was ready to uh, let's just say uh, put the beat down literally on me at the time because he was quite he was quite pissed off because of course I would do it in the round other rounds where he was 10 for making day 2 or in the like or kind of contentious game while he's still playing you know he used to hate me for that he probably doesn't remember it that much anymore or if he does he'll remember it now because when I talked to him last year I didn't bring it up of course he he remembered my name and remembered a lot of things about me but didn't 
we didn't talk about that particular incident or other ones like it, so he might remember him now. And actually associate, or maybe he didn't know who I was time, but knows who I am now. So, uh, so anyways, yeah, it's like, that's kind of funny. But the reason I bring up Bueller is not only a Pro Tour Hall of Fame stuff, because I think he should be a member of the Pro Tour Hall of Fame now. I think he's top two, only behind Kai this year and, uh, for contributions to the game and, and effort of the game and how good of a player he really was. If Wasi didn't hire him away, he was going to really dominate the Pro Tour for a few years. He was, he was on track doing it the right way with the right people that would have gone on taking over. But anyways, while I was getting that, the reason I bring that Bueller came to mind was because I was listening to a recent podcast of Dom's and, and Tom's and Gavin, and they were talking about somebody told Gavin about a uh, snapple throwing incident, as it were. And I was like, and they got all their facts all screwed up. So it's like, I emailed Dom with the rest of the story, because it was not Bueller who threw that. Uh, I don't even know if Bueller was in the event that threw that. It was actually Kurt Hahn, the guy who created Five Color Magic Format, was the person who threw a water bottle at uh, Ken Davis, if I remember correctly, his guy's name, and got a five, he got a four-year ban from the DCI for assault, and got legal props because he threw a, a full water bottle, pissed off at some guy across the room and hit him in the head with it. Quite funny thing to see, actually. It was like some shock. It just shocked the hell out of everybody. But um, somebody must have pissed him off because he just snapped. He was ready to throw down to a full fight and argued and, and everything and picked up a water bottle and threw it at the guy. But that's a, that was that was actually Kurt Condon who picked up the bottle or picked up the bottle of water and threw it. It wasn't Randy Bueller as uh, they had originally reported. Uh, I don't know if they ever got a... That is, when I'm recording this, I don't know if they had put in a, a um, correction that I emailed Donald about yet or not to the future cast, but it's possible you might hear this twice. Here's another interesting controversial style topic. Um, there's been some discussions lately amongst people I know arguing that uh, John Becker is, is a much better sideline reporter than, say, Rich Hagan is. Rich Hagan currently has the contract with Watsi doing the uh, event coverage at both the Pro Tour and the Grand Prix, uh, or at least some of the Grand Prix, because um, Top 8 Magic also does some of the Grand Prix. But, um, yeah, Rich Hagan does all the European all the European Grand Prix, all the Pro Tours. He also has the contract, and he has his own... Uh, commercial pay for um, regular podcast regularly released podcast that him and a couple of his friends work on that helps you get better as a player and especially when it comes to drafting and pick, pick order and stuff um, yeah, some of this stuff is quite interesting but I, me and a lot of people I know can't stand the way he does um, play by play analysis post game uh, it's just the, the style he does it while it's quite unique it's also quite annoying at the same time John Becker does a better job of getting out those fringe interesting side stories from people and does a little bit better research in, in getting these, well, these are interesting to listen to type stories out of people, whereas Rich Hagen doesn't. Instead, Hagen, while he does a fairly good interview and gets to a lot of interesting people to talk to and asking a lot of interesting questions, and does a really good job as an interviewer, doesn't do nearly as good of a job as finding the interesting sideline side stories for, like, news, just newscast, the newscasting type stuff that some of us like to just read about, especially things like involving the pole player lifestyle or a good example of, of Becker's research is, like, the Beach House, the entire Beach House article that he did for uh, Pro Tour Honolulu, that was, uh, or the uh, surfing machine type thing. Those those types of special uh, added footage that uh, Becker used to do was so much more interesting, even though it was only marginally related to magic per se, or only topically re- or situationally related to magic. Whereas Rachekin does a fairly good job as an interviewer and directing an interview, he doesn't do as good of a job getting the interesting side stories out. So we were kind of arguing about like, well, what would be what would actually make for a better type of, re- of reporting? Does Rachekin really while he does a 
a, a good job. Is he really the best person for the position? Or and a lot of people would like to see Becker come back, but you know who knows why John Becker is no longer doing that. Um, I don't know. I haven't been able to talk to him. I haven't been able to ask him that question, though. I'd like to know the reason, but I doubt it's something that could be unless he unless it's something he's okay with doing. I somehow doubt that the answer to that question will be publicly available to anybody anytime soon. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know by which terms or whatever that they parted on or under what degree, uh, agreements they parted on. Becker is also one of the old school players that have been around as long as I have. And I like Becker. We get along. A few times we've talked together, we got along. He'd be a guy, I'd, I'd, I could take him out to a ball game and, and uh, drink very well all night and have, have a good time. Someday, I'm gonna, someday I will get around to taking, taking Becker, BDM, and Flores out for some beer, Selma. Especially if we ever get a Grand Prix in, in Colorado, maybe I can talk on a gun here and I'll take him out to some microbrews and get some real beer instead of, you know, mass produced crap. Get some, get some good quality, real microbrews because, you know, only Colorado makes the best. So it's kind of interesting. Like, well, so we know the good qualities and the bad qualities between those two main, main people. We know John, uh, we know uh, uh, Craig. Craig does a really good job. Um, English player, first name for some reason is escaping me at the moment while I'm driving, but I can't tell you it. But he's done a good job as a, a blogging type person, as a writer. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't really been in, in the podcasting at all. I think he could do a decent job if he felt the need to or felt the desire to, but I don't think he wants to. Make sure, but I also think that it would help PTQs if we started having more people doing what I'm doing with a second tier type podcast recording of event coverage. Because we need to have more of these interesting stories to show up in pro- for their followers being recorded and, and given to the public at large to consume. It would kind of make things more interesting. Like like um, when we were at uh, TP Dallas after uh, Paul Chion came in second place to uh, Ralph Levy, the group of us all went to dinner with Paul Chion and uh, Sumo and, and, and Lewis Scott Vargas and, and uh, Paul Bradford and Ryan Samira and uh, myself, uh, a couple of the other Denver players. We all went to dinner, all went to dinner together at this Texas Steakhouse place. And there was, well, none of the, none of the echoing or anything else. That's when I recorded that was actually usable for recording. There was some interesting, cool stories that took place, like involving uh, that Paul Sean was telling about his friend who uh, could not, to put it nicely, could not contain his bowel movement while on a car trip to to a PTQ or from, back home from a PTQ and uh, quite literally deposited himself in a very bad light and very bad smell. Some of that was just hysterical. Badly paraphrased and edited out for the uh, sake of keeping the TZ cast on the uh, up and up. In the end, though, I think uh, it would be actually most beneficial for the Pro Tours if Wabi would be willing to hire both Hagan and Becker and maybe another person to collectively work on podcast and stories, sidelines, and produce like three to four times the content they do right now for podcasts. Um, though I do have to admit that the tournament center that BDM and Bueller is now doing is amazing. They're absolutely amazing for what it is, what we get, quality and everything. Um, though they don't do it quite as frequently in the number of rounds as they should be doing it. Uh, I would like to see someday where they achieve the ability to do round by round highlighting, uh, much like you would like to see in Sports Center. You know, highlighting constantly updated highlights. Um, at the same time, I would also think that those recorded shows that they're putting on YouTube should also be downloadable via their um, RSS feed for their, their iTunes podcast. Uh, why are the videos, both the Pro Tour coverage videos and the Tournament Center videos, are not downloadable yet? The Rich Hagen podcasts are downloadable via that RSS feed. It does not make sense. You should make them all available. We want all the video coverage. Maybe I'm kind of weird, but I have the light making DVDs of all the video coverage of the Pro Tour, so I can watch them four, five, six times over the course of the next month and a half after it takes place. Um, maybe I'm weird in that manner, but I would like to have the ability to download and save onto my hard drive any and all of the footage, video footage from the Pro Tour um, so that I can zoom in multiple times at a later date instead of having an independent internet connection and using YouTube occasionally over and over to see the same thing.
saying when, when I'm probably not just the easiest manner for me to use it. Um, I am going to miss you doing uh, some of the podcasts that he does for Watsi because he stepped down and given it over to uh, Devin at this point. Mm. He did a decent job with those first two. Yeah. Can't argue that. Oh, yeah. And uh, as far as other people like Reese Perry, who thought my idea, my originally, that my idea of having all the video uh, and footage being downloaded via the RSS feed would be completely wreck his internet connection. Um, I just want to point out that we do live in the 21st century. Those those, those old fangled gadgets known as bod modems are so mid-20th century that I'm surprised anyone still uses them. Uh, pretty much, or maybe I've been boiled by high-speed internet because I've had microwave, uh, both one-way and two-way microwave internet for going on 12 years now? No, I didn't take that back. Longer than that. Uh, 93, 14 years now. Going on 14 years, I've had microwave-based broadband internet access, so which allows me to have, you know, really download negative files in a matter of seconds. Now I, I don't have all that great of upload speed, but, you know, you, you, you can take what you get, you know, good service, good quality of internet connection. Or the fact that I've been working around all every business I've been to has been interconnected with multiple T1s internally, or T3s, you know, or, uh, you know, I haven't actually had to use a, a real baud motive in since I had a Commodore 64, really, or my 386 SX Hewlett Packard when it was brand new for IBM compatible system. Pretty much, ever since then, I've been pretty much using, you know, high-speed internet. And by now, you think that, you know, the world, the U.S., pretty much everyone in the U.S., and, and, and actually in some countries, are now almost 100% going broadband-based internet. Even India recently announced that they're going to uh, have a government-funded move to make 100% free Wi-Fi access, uh, high, high-speed broadband internet connectivity in uh, their entire free uh, wi free Wi-Fi for their entire nationwide, so every citizen has access to high speed wi uh, high speed broadband. You know, it's like you know, for Reese Perry and other people, you know, like, like just come back to the 21st century, dude. Things are available. This is the information age. Things are available at huge, super fast downloads. Take advantage of it. Don't hinder the rest of us who have that ability by being in the way. And if Watt didn't really worry about that, all they have to do is make two RSS feeds: one for audio only, the other one for video and audio or video only, and that would have fixed the problem in the first place. But we should have all the stuff being downloadable via the RSS feed so we can save it when we need it or want it. Now for a little of the uh, strategic side of the world, uh, threat advantage, a fairly untalked about concept in that. Everybody always refers to the purposes of what card advantage does and how good card advantage is and blah, blah, blah about this and that and about virtual card advantage, pluses and minuses. When on a technical level, uh, various concepts also make that kind of irrelevant or obsolete, really. But on a technical level, you, everybody draws one card turn, net advantage is zero overall. In that case, but say if you draw two and your opponent draws one, then yeah, you you can gain one card advantage. Or say you take out two creatures with one spell, then you get a card advantage of plus one. Uh, the virtual card advantage is people play you can be gained by things like storm cards or stuff that has threshold or, or not threshold, but uh, buyback or uh, buyback. Now the game the game state bonuses of buyback are pretty obvious because once you have that, you can, you have the ability to lock the game state with it. Consistent threat of some kind, be it a counterspell or be it a, a source of damage or be it a source of creature removal, and your opponent doesn't have to work around that problem. It's a strategic issue, but it's highly advantageous to have a, a buyback spell available to you at times. Uh, the most popular one in standard nowadays is going to probably be Spellburst. Uh, the other buyback spells aren't quite good enough to just buy seeing play yet, but though I do like Worm Calling and I do like Whisper Views, Whispers I still think is being overshadowed though by the current set of no draw cards such as uh, Compulsive Research, Tidy, Careful Consideration. Think twice, ancestral vision, etc. However, say you play a goblin warrens for say four copies of Storm, and you basically spend one spell to make. In theory, as far as the, the idea of card advantage is, that you spend one spell 
to create eight tokens. However, say one person is damnation, cast damnation, or wrath of God, not it. He uses one spell to eliminate eight tokens. Well, in theory, yeah, that's literally one for, uh, a one for one, but in reality, it's a uh, extra one because of the multiple cards, multiple spells need to be cast in order to generate storm capable of getting that many tokens. Now, so it's really a negative, a negative extra one card advantage right there. One virtual card advantage was one for one. Now, city council, though, however, say you take one advantage now, and why card advantage is not the total answer to the solution, it's not total answer to the concept of who has a winning board position or who was winning a particular game, because even though you can outdraw your opponent two to one, does not necessarily mean you're going to win the game. They put you in a highly advantageous position to win the game, but does not win you the game. And now, for example, with a threat advantage, say you take Urza's back, so it lands and with seven mana, it bumps out a 2-2 creature token. Alright? You can be playing against a control player with the Urza's factory. Well, the thing is, is they have lots of one-for-one control spells, occasional extra-one control spells, or one-for-many control spells, but at the same time, you have a threat advantage in that Urza's factory is putting out a uh, threat that did not cost you cards, that are put, uh, is putting pressure on your opponent in order to make them find answers. Idea being the Wrath of God is an answer, well, if they can't come up with enough answers, but eventually you're run over by tokens. In that case, it, it's still a one card. It costs them one card in order to keep generating infinite turns worth of threat. That threat advantage is really a concept of magic that needs to be better explored. Uh, the ability to generate free threat that don't take up resources other than mana are far undervalued in, in the concept of magic and should be, should be greater explored through as time has gone on. In 2006 at regionals, I actually 2006, or 2005 at state championships in October, I uh, came in 11th in Colorado with a deck that killed base around B2 Gazi and Natural Affinity. In a lot of cases, I used Natural Affinity both as utilitary as well as a kill card. And for instance, I would cast it in order to make all the lands turn into creatures and then say Final Judgment the board, wiping out everything and anything that was a creature in play from the game. And that would, in most cases, completely devastate my opponent because he was not prepared for any kind of move like that. And then I would easily recover because I was running um, Journeyer's Kites and land. It had land in hand with Journeyer's Kites in play and search out some more land, get my deck running and back to running again. Use uh, all my white removal and uh, limited permission and uh, limited green spells to uh, get back to the position where V2 Gazi would start working magic and start beating down again. Now, that was a that was an early example of something that was based on a concept from '96 where I used to use Dojo and Outpost and a complete suite of all mon- of all white cards for removal in order to win the game. In regionals 2006, I did a very similar thing. Only this time, I tweaked up a couple of, of various areas and made my deck more solid and included other free threat generators like Pride of the Cloud uh, plus a couple of really hard to kill creatures like Simic uh, Skyswaller and Maluko who is an expert jet threat generator because it costs you massive resources and sends you back mana wise but at the same time you end the game in a very quick manner doing so uh, Maluko is still one of my favorite creatures of all time but uh, anyways I used those decks and uh, with that deck I actually qualified for regionals um, unfortunately the decision was made that the end of Swiss would decide who gets the plaque for being in first place I was not in first place, and uh, I dared anyone who got black to play me for it. Nobody would take me up on it, because in the end, they were all afraid that my deck would completely wreck them. And as I found out uh, later on, only one deck in the entire top eight was actually of any kind of concern to me at all, and that was a, a Magnavore deck that also qualified. But pretty much the other six decks, I would have very easily have destroyed. So it was kind of depressing. I missed my shot at having a black that says that I was a champion of the regionals. But I got qualified for nationals with it. Um, took the same deck, more or less, and didn't spend enough effort in trying to fix it and didn't do very good with it at the 
Nationals. Um, same kind of concept. Same, pretty much the same deck. The review changes, but I, I uh, went in the wrong direction. Should have paid more attention to the uh, MGGO constructed cues and PEs than I did, as opposed to working on trying to figure out how to draft, because I was not very good at drafting at the time. And I learned how to draft. I actually did far better drafting than I did constructed while I was at So some of the work paid off, but I uh, didn't focus it right. I ended up paying the ultimate price for that. Work at it again. Hopefully this time I will uh, do it the correct way. But in order to get my point across, is uh, just because you may outdrawing your opponent does not mean that you can stop his ability to generate threats and have the board advantage of a threat generator. It, for instance, you can have, say, an AN Chronicler suspend for, like, five or six copies, but if your opponent's got an active, uh, active business factory play, you're losing, the, you're losing the game still. Even no matter how many extra cards you might have drawn, you're still losing the game. you got to remember resources. Resources are also areas you can explore and use to your benefit. Now, an example, some basic examples of what threat advantage means would be like, say your opponent has uh, a deck full of shock. You have a deck full of gray ogres. Every time he casts a creature, he casts a shock to kill it. You draw a gray ogre, cast it. He draws a shock, casts it, kills it. In that case, it's a one for one. Nobody has nobody has a board advantage, and it, but it's in his best interest continuing continuously casting shock to your creatures because otherwise the uh, the creatures will end up beating them down if you don't kill them. So, but that's a pretty basic one for one threat that results in, in a neutral board, neutral ground, as it were. Take a Sun Tzu terminology that would be resulted in neutral ground. Now, let's say if you have a gray ogre versus a hill giant, one for each side every turn, the hill giant has a has a far better threat than it and can take out multiple gray ogres all day long. It always causes a two-for-one block, but the two-for-one will never give you a head enough to survive and uh, stop the hill giant from uh, advancing the beatdown. The hill giant player will always have the advantage in that game because he can always drop the block, but he always to unbeat them. Now, so he's just generating better threat. Now, if you, say, was able to wrap the god every occasionally and have an extra couple of threats out there, then, yeah, you might be able to take the advantage right away, but in the end, it's going to continue to cost you resources, and you, every time you do it, go on the offensive, you lose some of your ground if you had, had, had one hit them. Now, under an esoteric concept, say, for instance, something along the lines of, like, lots it on higher. It's a good 4-4 Peter for 4. You to play against your 4-life. Quite a useful ability, especially against decks that are really fast, like rule and red or white. Aggro. That extra 4-life is a tempo swing that can negate any threat advantage they may have, they may have had or any damage advantage they may have had. Just because you are down low in life, as long as you have threat advantage and board control, also does not mean you lose the game. You, you can win the game with one life against just about any deck, except mono red, if you can maintain control and have, have control of the board and control of threat advantage. That's where you give up early resources and early uh, positioning for the long game. Fighting the long game attrition battle is what usually will win you the match. That's what I generally like to do with my decks is actually try to fight the attrition battle whether or not people people won't want me to or not because I know I tend to uh, build my decks with the attrition battle in mind. Um, example, a recent favorite card of mine going back to Magic um, Standard is Gaius Blessing and I've been using it quite a few decks Standard uh, just because I really like the uh, the long term advantages that Gaius Blessing give you. Now, if I come up with a better usage of it over time, maybe I'll get it to the exact right deck where it fits in but I didn't just make use of it in general purpose for what it can do. Yeah, it's been useful. I've been enjoying it. Because long term, I will always win the long term efficient battles with both my decks. Now, back to the concept of threat advantage. It's like, well, then how do you, uh, how do you 
gain an advantage. Well, you can either do it by saying multiple one-to-many sweepers and then threats back it up, or you can have big tempo swinger cards with better creatures to, to beat and to go heads up against the weaker creatures. That'll also eventually get you the threat advantage in time. Or you constantly keep putting out threats like, as an example, the weedy deck versus the control deck. If you can keep up a cheaper threat than his permission, then you have an advantage in the game where you're forcing him to have some of the wrath of God in order to survive. Now, the game has slowed enough turn-wise and whatnot that wrath of God is very much doable in just about every situation. You can expect to run into it. Same goes for damnation. Though black having damnation is not nearly as good as white having wrath of God in that. Uh, there's no life game that will swing back the tempo or the, the tempo loss or the early resources given up to generate a stable board position. The, uh, if black would like gain massive amounts of light, would say tendrils of corruption plus Urborg against an aggro deck, then the likelihood is the aggro deck is just lost no matter what. Because inevitability dictates that control, board control plus life advantage usually ends in, in a game win, in a board position win, which is a big advantageous position in the battle where you've got, where you're basically looking downhill across the whole bunch of attackers, downhill at the attackers, and they're coming uphill trying to fight you. They don't want to have to fight an uphill battle. So tendrils of corruption plus uh, Urborg plus state damnation can cause an aggro deck to have to fight an uphill battle, and that's never to their advantage to do so. Now, not all card advantage is, is good. Actually, there's some card advantage. Card, the concept of card advantage is somewhat obsolete because just because you may be gaining more cards than him does not necessarily make you a winning game. For example, uh, in kind of clear suspended, wall is an amazing thing to do until he's actually in play. You don't have no threats to back up your, your card drawing with at the time. Another example is a, a positive card advantage would be things like flashback, in that you could use a spell once and then pay an extra cost later on down the road to use to reuse that spell. Well, technically, that's you, net, you, you netted. Say, for instance, you use Firebolt. You cast it once, kill a 2-2 uh, two, two creature. Five turns later, you cast it again from your graveyard to kill another 2-2 two, two creature. Well, technically, you got a two-for-one card advantage because you kill two creatures in with one card of your own, even though the second time you cast it, it was not a matter of card advantage, but so much as um, resources. You just use the resource available to you, but it doesn't actually give you, quote, card advantage in the process. Um, same thing can be true with any other kind of flashback spell. After you used it once, the second time you use it doesn't actually make you carded. Now, one of the biggest, one of the big decks in standard noise has been for the last several years that self gives it negative card advantage just things like reanimators because they have to go through so much effort to get dick certain things from their hand in order to set up a situation where they can beat you down with a combo that involves using up a lot of resources in some kind of reanimation spell for a big fast back well they're they're throwing pretty much half their deck into the process of generating that, that really fast group of mana capable of doing just that. Well that while it's useful it's also not practical for nearly all types of applications.